And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello, welcome to the Phil Hay Show, brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Dan here, along with Michael from The Square Ball. Uh, Phil Hay will be along in a short while, but it's actually his his week off this week, isn't it? So we've uh, been left in charge, like the kids left at home when the parents go on holiday. So we've got to be grown up and sensible on this show. Oh dear. We'll see how it goes anyway. <laughs> Wish us luck. Yeah, Phil will be, uh, we'll be checking in shortly to talk about Scoob's. Uh, just a reminder, the Phil Hay Show is twice a week, Mondays and Fridays at the minute. Uh, Friday edition is normally where we react to the, the press conference, which we'll get into in just a minute or two. Actually, Monday's show is where we react to the game that's been on at the weekend. I'll be back with Phil on Monday to talk about the Everton game. We'll be previewing Everton momentarily. A reminder that the shows are free. Uh, you can listen ad-free, though, when you subscribe to The Athletic. On top of the ad-free pods, you can get every single word that Phil writes about Leeds, and you can participate in the match day discussions with the great man himself, theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. So um, following the Scoobs press conference then, he's saying all the right things, isn't he? He's coming across very, very well, I think. I think so. He's not He's not taking many risks in the stuff he's saying, but equally, you know, it, it'd be very easy to just let your mouth run in these situations, I think, as, as we've maybe found in the past with some other people, that if you're, um, if you're asked a question, you feel the, the need to fill a lot of space, whereas he's, he's hit everything with a very straight bat, hasn't he? It's just been, well... It's a good opportunity. I'm just trying to help the club. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I went onto the um, onto the YouTube feed for this to watch it back, and it was 22 minutes. And I thought, oh, maybe he said a little bit more this week than uh, than perhaps he did last week. But I read like the first six or seven minutes are all just the videos coming soon, <laughs> like holding screen. Uh, and he came on; he was succinct. And there were five minutes at the end where it was the thank you for watching screen. So yeah, he's um, a man of few words, but I think the words he's choosing are right. And one of the big takeaways for me is that. He's talking about a very positive dressing room at the minute. They're looking forward to the games at the weekend and see see them as an opportunity rather than um, a burden or on the necessarily feeling the pressure. I think he was quite good actually. And he's um, it was Chris Dox from from Calendar asked the question about if he's been overwhelmed with it. And it would have been I think it's easy when you're answering a question to almost agree with the question in some ways. But he he was polite, but he sort of went, "No, I'm not overwhelmed. It's fine. I've got good got good stuff around me. Um, I've been coaching for a very long time. The players." Are good with me. They're, I like working with them. They like working with me. Perfect. And I, I think it was good that he came out and said that because it would have been it would have been easy to go. Yeah, it's it's a, it's been a lot, and but you know I'm just trying my best. But he went, no, actually, it's fine. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And spoiler alert: when Phil comes on the line in a bit, which we've we've already recorded, but you will be hearing it um, out of order. Phil talks about Scoob simplifying the game, and that's what he did in in the response to that question, wasn't it? Which was, look, it's it's a game of football to prepare for. That's that's my job. I've been doing that for for many many years. It's just another one of those, albeit on a completely different scale in terms of platform. But it doesn't—it doesn't seem to be phasing him at all, does it? No, I don't think so. And he, I think we've seen that in the the match day stuff as well. He seems—he seems in control of it. He did mention the substitutions, which I guess are the one mark against him at this stage. That people said the substitutions against Man United at home didn't particularly work, which I guess the result would, would tell you. But um, he did mention that today, and but again, I would say played it down fairly well. Yeah, he was asked about it specifically, wasn't it? Is, is it something you've you've discussed? And he didn't answer directly, but he said, look, there are always conversations, particularly with the, the senior players, because it was mentioned about 
reactions from both. It was Ailing and Bamford, wasn't it? Who mm-hmm. when, when we said there was a reaction, it wasn't a massive negative reaction, but it kind of been a really kind of a, a thing. I think Bamford was taken off perhaps sooner than he expected to be, if at all. Yeah, it wasn't quite Tony Eboa wanging his shirt and uh, and <laughs> storming off down the tunnel, was it? But yeah, I think there was a bit of surprise there. Maybe because I, I guess Bamford maybe thought he had a little bit more to in the tank still to offer at that stage. Uh, and seeing the Everton games, uh, a chance to to get another three points. And he was speaking about the belief and the confidence gained from good performances against Man United and positive feelings within the camp as well. Particularly a strong second half against Man United in the um, in the return, like the game at Ellen Road uh, most recently. We need to tidy up some things, is what you said, which was as close as you got to addressing anything sort of specifically tactical. I mean, what, what do you think we need to tidy up? Tidy the ball into their net <laughs> when we were dominant. I mean, the start of the second half against Man United, that was the time we needed to score. We had a very good opening to that. And there were some, I'm trying to think if there were any brilliant chances. It felt like there were several half chances in there, but the amount of pressure we had. We were dominant, weren't we? Like, yeah, weren't we? Trying, trying to turn those into, into actual goals has been, which I suppose in some ways has been the story of the season, hasn't it? That we've had, we've had a lot of the ball in games. But I guess against a team at the top of the league, you don't, necessarily expect to have those periods and we most definitely did against Man United it was a game that, that could have gone in our way it, had we just managed to get grab something in that period having failed to get a goal then I suppose that's when we made the changes and then Man United made changes too we can't, we can't ignore that and that's when they came back into it mm. Yeah um, injuries wise you run through the situation as it stands Strauch back in training which will be the post concussion protocols will allow him back into, um, into contention do you stick with Junior Firpo? I think I would, you know, this one. It's, if uh, if it was early season, Strauch, I would have put him back in probably. But he's had a tough month or so, I think, before um, before his concussion. So I I think Furpo had his, his best game for us so far. So yeah, I would um, I would stick with him. And no matter what your opinion on him, he is ostensibly a left back, which is what we've been crying out for. So maybe maybe he was there all along. Maybe he just needed the structure to fit into that that suits him a lot better. I mean, possibly he was here under Bielsa, and it never really worked then either. So. Whether or not it was, um, you know, it was the the stop clock. His performance against Man United, and we'll be back to the the junior furpo we've become accustomed to. Against <laughs> Were you going to say no, no one love then? I was, yeah, I was almost stopped short of that. He's been a frustrating presence, hasn't he? But equally, he's never he has never had a run of games when he's when he's been in and out of the team. It's been not because he's been dropped, but generally because he's he's started to get a run of games, and then he's been injured, and then he's out for another five or six weeks, and then by the time he comes back in, he's not established, and it, it feels like he's never had a. He's never had a good run for as much as his form has also never been particularly good. And uh, do you think this maybe is going to be a battle that is won and lost in midfield? I mean, we should say as well, we have previewed this game ourselves on our own podcast that we released yesterday. So we apologies if we double up on, on any of it. We'll take a slightly different tack in a moment or two. We did go quite off-piste with that as well and ended up talking, <laughs> talking about 90s pop for a bit. But um, in terms of the way that Deitch sets his teams up, uh, physical, physicality was mentioned, aggressiveness was was mentioned as well by um, by Skubala and it sounds like he's enjoying having McKenny and Adams in our midfield perhaps to come up against that. It's I guess they've come in at the right time, haven't they? It adds a certain amount of grit to the midfield. I mean, that was something we picked up on our show about. It was that the midfield looks kind of interesting because Deitch has got three quite physical players in there and we now have a couple of physical players in. So it'll be interesting to see how that, uh, how that balances. So, I mean, we said we recorded that ahead of Skubala, so I think really we're, we're doing... We know, we, we're seeing all the same stuff, aren't we? We're, we're more or less more or less coaches. <laughs> and uh, interesting to compare last season's teams in this fixture because I think it's one of those things in it that's um, kind of instilling the fear in so many people is what happened last time out when 
it probably was, was it one of the main catalysts for things going wrong under Bielsa? And I asked this specifically because we'll get around to what happened in that game in a second, but Dominic Calvert-Lewin is out of this game. We know that from, from Deitch's press conference on Thursday and he's been moaning about the lack of striking. I say moaning, it's perhaps not fair, but he's complained about the the imbalance of the squad there and suggested that maybe there are not enough strikers in the squad there. But it is it is interesting to to compare the teams uh, and see what went out last year. Um, and that's off the back of was it the three? Uh, it was the one nil Rafinha the season before, wasn't it? In the mm-hmm. um, in the red wine kit, and then last season was the uh, the mashup kit with the luminous socks. When it all just it went sort of badly wrong, didn't it? We had uh, Dan James up front. Uh, Stuart Dallas was off after 10 minutes. Yelda came on, who also then went off injured later on. It was the one where Rodrigo and Rafinha were both subbed off at half-time, which if you're to believe the stories, kicked off all the behind-the-scenes stuff with players not being entirely happy with um, with BL. So Forshaw and Roberts coming on at half-time for two of our biggest signings since promotion. So it, it was not a happy day, was it? It wasn't. And we had a few of these under BL. So I think the, the earliest one last season was Southampton away, which was a similar performance in a way that we turned up and from the off nothing was there it just didn't feel like the team would become accustomed to watching so it's one of those where we said don't we you could always tell which way a Bielsa game was going to go in the opening 10 minutes and that was one of them yeah and I think there were you know there were a couple of goals up in the first half and we never looked like turning that game around and I, th- I think around this time as well you obviously had Donny van der Beek playing for them in midfield and it was around the debate at the time of whether or not we should have tried to get him in and yeah, or yeah. should have got a midfielder in and as the injuries piled up even within this game and he was playing playing really well against us. There was a slight dread of like, oh my god, we've completely missed the boat here. And they are they've done the right thing and strengthened. Now, obviously, a year on, well, not not quite a year on, they've offloaded Deli Ali, who they had around this time as well. Van der Beek's gone back to Man United, and they're you know they're in a, a shambolic state more or less. Can you remember who was holding midfielder in this game? Because we've got um, Cock, Urente, and Strauch there all playing so was it Strauch in midfield or was it Cock that it moved forward perhaps because I don't I don't see any discernible deep line midfielder in that team because you got Dallas so he went off injured and it was Click and Rodrigo in front of whoever was holding and that it never seemed to work that pairing of, of Rodrigo and Click Rodrigo operating as like something of a number 10 yeah without Calvin it quite regularly didn't work did it in the midfield so not that's we're not going to have to worry about anymore no, that's um, true I mean, that, that problem solved but we, um, it'll be a completely different game, won't it? I mean, obviously Lampard and Bielsa are gone as well, so it'll be an interesting battle. One that I probably didn't envisage a few weeks ago. No. So. Well, there are at least six changes that we'll have from that side, perhaps even seven or more, depending on what happens with um, with Strout. Because the team that there was Melier, we had Urente, Cox, Strout, Ailing, Click, Dallas, Rafinha, Rodrigo, Harrison, and James was up front. So take James out, Rodrigo's out, Rafinha's out. Click's gone, Dallas is injured, Urente's gone, so that's your, that's your six. If Strauch is out, that's seven, so it's quite, it's pretty big changes. Also reflected on on their side of the fence as well, if you look particularly at their attack and their midfield, it's decimated. You've got at least five missing, including Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin up front, behind them. You've got Anthony Gordon, who was always a bit of a thorn in our side, I thought, particularly in the, the home fixture earlier in the season, but also over there he was troublesome, wasn't he? running from deep um, with Alan not in the midfield or Van der Beek as you mentioned so interesting to see how that all pans out If you compare the two our team looks a lot stronger you'd have to say theirs looks at least a bit weaker so it should be okay <laughs> It sounds like you're trying to convince yourself Yeah if it was if the game was played on paper then you would have to fancy us wouldn't you Nonto perhaps um, getting a bit more change out of them you'd hope wouldn't you 
Well, you, I mean, Coleman has been a very good player over the years, but is now getting on a bit. Not an awful lot of pace at centre-back for them either, so you'd think there's some options to to maybe try and get in behind them a bit there and run at them. Equally, I feel it's uh, we're about as likely to get Tarkowski booting Nonto in the stands and injuring him within the first few minutes as well. So <laughs> let's protect our, our good young players as well. And considering it's almost exactly a year to the week that... Um that this happened a lot has changed I mean a week is a long time in football as the cliche goes but um, a year feels like a blooming lifetime doesn't it when you when you look at these sides are we going to miss Frank Lampard um, might as well save that for our show <laughs> <laughs> it gave a bit of spice to the game I suppose didn't it whereas Deitch I, I suppose I didn't particularly enjoy playing his Burnley teams I mean the start of last season was the um, was the one all wasn't it there when we, uh, when we weren't particularly great but I feel like we've probably just about had the better of Deitch under Bielsa. Well, it does beg the question of whether, and it's the problem we've seen, you know, we're trying to get a manager in mid-season and in the end, um, Scoops has got it, of instilling a new tactical plan and you saw, you saw it work pretty effectively against Arsenal for them, but they didn't pull up any trees against Liverpool, albeit they had that chance just before Liverpool scored, but it was quite comfortable for Liverpool in the end, wasn't it? So is that difficult for him to get um, consistency out of this um, out of this team? Consistency, I think, should be easier for them because this is going to sound like I'm doing Deitch's tactics down, but it, it is a more simple game. So it shouldn't, I don't expect them to be radically different in any game they play. I think they, they'll set up the pressing and stuff slightly differently depending on who they're playing, and maybe they'll be on the front foot more depending on probably being at home in this game. I think they're going to, there's definitely going to be an expectation that they win this from their fans. So there'll be a slight setup difference there, but I get the feeling they probably have worked an awful lot on the shape and setting up to be tight and structurally sound which will be I suppose Lampard used to always say he was doing that <laughs> before blaming the before blaming the players take, for not for not doing that take him at his word Michael take him at his word <laughs> and I guess Marsh used to spend a lot of time saying he was doing that and then it not happening so <laughs> let's see if um, this is really a, as a game just a balance of whether or not Scubala and Deitch are better than, um, than Lampard and Marsh I'm just going back to, to Scoob's when it was put to him, you know, these are two huge games, are they season-defining? And he was keen to play that down, saying, look, we've got a lot of games to go. Obviously, we need to pick up points, but they are huge games, but the players are excited. I feel like we've had a lot of games this year where we've been must-win, and then we've drawn them, and you go, oh, okay. And with it ticking it's on... It's no there. But it's sort of do-or-die time now, isn't it? And oh, As we said, I think, on our show, that like a draw is not the worst result in the world, but a win does so much because it's so needed. A draw is... A- Probably more of a problem for Everton than for us, I would say, because we, we are above them there at home and they do need to start picking up a bit of momentum at some point, whereas a draw for us, it doesn't... I don't think, I don't think it really does much damage to morale for us. It doesn't a draw at this stage, particularly if we can follow it up with a win against Southampton. But it's all it's all ifs and buts. Mm, yeah, well, it is, yeah. And just on Deitch himself, Scoop said today, I met him a couple of times. He probably doesn't remember me, which oh, I, was like, I felt sorry for him. Though. Very self-effacing, though. Mm. Uh, uh, but they're both children of, of John Duncan in the footballing sense uh, having been schooled by him is he the guy this guy from Chesterfield John Duncan he is yeah and he was at the I guess they maybe met at the he was league associated with the league managers association as right. well he was, he was involved with that so I guess that is maybe where they've managed to meet each other so it was uh, John Duncan who did he oversee the big Chesterfield Cup run where they got to the semi-final against Middlesbrough yeah where Deitch scored a penalty ah he did uh, yeah I think he got the was it at Wembley, I think? He, or maybe in somewhere else. Maybe a neutral ground in the semi-final. But yeah, Deitch, uh, Deitch got a penalty in that, I think. It was Old Trafford, wasn't it? Old Trafford. Yeah, I think Wembley was probably being rebuilt at that stage. Who knows? Yeah, or, maybe, a... or maybe they'd just been sensible and, and not played every single game there. 
But I couldn't tell you what his style was necessarily about because it was a, it was a long a while ago. But uh, it's interesting that there are links back there, and that and that Scubala was able to say, "Well, I know a little bit about his um, his style of football." So um, it'll be interesting to see how that stacks up against uh, the old uh, the futsal stylings of uh, of Scubala. I do wonder as well how that's kind of translated from um, from the smaller game to to what he's telling the players now. If it's the same skill set or if it's completely different. Yeah, I mean, obviously, tactically, it's it's got to be completely different. It's more about the the touch and the technique, I suppose, isn't it? The um, the smaller sided game. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, he's obviously he does know he does know eleven aside football as well and has worked in that. But yeah, for, to go from um, it's an interesting career trajectory to have gone from that. Because I mean, him even being put in charge of the under twenty ones when he was at the start of the season, there were some eyebrows raised about the fact we were getting a futsal coach. And here we are. And here we are with him. Uh, with him in charge for the foreseeable future, or however they uh, the, they chose to phrase it the other day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream Direct TV without a satellite dish. Call 1 800 Direct TV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets, and industry leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic. And as if by magic, Phil joins us now on The Phil Hay Show. Nice to have you appearing on your own show, Phil. Sorry for interrupting your uh, your week off during the school holidays. I thought I should show up anyway, since it is mine. Absolutely. Uh, we're here to talk about Scoobs, just to timestamp this, as we like to do with this show. We are recording this before uh, the press conference ahead of the Everton game. So um, we're not going to talk about matters necessarily about what's happening there on the pitch at the weekend but the situation in general Phil it's been a strange old week at Leeds hasn't it going right back to the rejection of uh, of Schroeder and the appointment of Scoobs yeah it has I mean we, we almost don't need to time stamp this in as much as we know that Scubala and um, Calado Chris Amos are going to be caretakers now certainly I would expect for Everton and Southampton and I think if those games go to plan then beyond and most likely to, to the end of the season, given how few games are left. But I, I think if those games don't go to plan and the league table worsens, then I'm not sure we're, we're done with this yet. But it's been, I mean, not even just from Schroeder onwards, it's been a strange fortnight, thinking initially that they had a, a very strong chance of Andoni Areola over at Rio Vallecano. Clubs certainly thought they did. And then other options in the background that made it seem as if one way or another they were going to fall on somebody who would be a permanent appointment and a, you know, not interim, not caretaker, uh, somebody who would hopefully see them through the back end of this season and then start to to properly build in the way that coaches try to uh, from the, the summer onwards. In terms of the appointment of Scubala, it makes sense to me as an alternative to somebody like Schroeder, partly on the basis of Schroeder's recent record, you know, what happened to him at, at Ajax, but also on the basis of the reaction to the news last weekend that it looked like it was going to be Schroeder who was was coming in until the end of the season. And I know there's, there's been there's been a bit of muddy of waters in the sense of how close was it and everything else. What we know is that he was at the team hotel before the game. He was at the game itself against Manchester United. 
he was seen walking around the pitch afterwards. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that had there been, or I don't think there's much doubt that had there not been the reaction that there was and, and had Leeds not found the, uh, I guess, had the motivation to think again about it, that it's highly likely that he would have been appointed and would be here to the, the end of the season. But in the circumstances and considering what the mood was like um, in reaction to that, I do think Skubala makes far more sense. That said, it's a huge risk, this. It's a huge risk to be in this situation with a caretaker team when you're 17th. I don't think it's the scenario Leeds wanted at all. I don't think it's what they envisaged at the beginning of last week when they sat Jesse Marsh. And it has to work because if it doesn't, then they're going to be in deep trouble. And and if it doesn't, then the, there is a high likelihood that they'll go down. Where does the sensitivity come from all of a sudden to fan opinion? Because, you know, the fans have been shouting to buy a left back, buy a striker for about two years and they've, they've managed to ignore that. Do you think the club realised that they're in a very dangerous place at the moment with fan opinion? I think it's partly that. I mean, the club will say that that wasn't what influenced it in the end, that in the end they, they hadn't actually decided to appoint him and, and they decided to look elsewhere. But I think it's it, it seems fairly implausible that you would approach somebody like Schroeder, far more experienced than Skubala, have him over in Leeds, speak to him, hold those sort of conversations if you weren't seriously thinking about appointing him. I think there's a big difference between a team that looks lopsided or not quite complete in terms of balance because it doesn't have a left back and a squad on mass who look like they might be getting relegated. And, you know, this has become such a such a key decision. And we're finding out a few things with this, which don't come as a particular surprise. One is that this time of year is not a great time to be trying to recruit a head coach at all. Um, the second is that at this time, of co- this time of year, it's difficult to talk other head coaches out of jobs at other clubs and sometimes more to the point it's very difficult to persuade other clubs to negotiate with you when it comes to to releasing them and I cannot help but feel to go back to a discussion we've had a few times now that they've left this too late you know they've left the decision with Marsh too late and I understand why there was an attempt to give him as much time as possible to give him the players he needed to try and make it work with them but it but what has happened is that they've they've hit the second week of February too close to the end of the, the season to have you pick of whoever's out there and it's been a struggle to get anybody. It's been a struggle to get anybody on the initial shortlist who they genuinely wanted and who they thought would be right for them. So it is Skubala. I've got to say, actually, with Skubala, I thought his work, the work he did for the Manchester United games was good. I did. I don't think in the second game, the substitutions and the changes worked at all. I think Skubala admitted that himself afterwards. And I do think that in the last half hour at Old Trafford, um, there was a definite loss of impetus and, and definite loss of momentum, although... You have to credit to some extent, I think, the changes that Ten Hag made at that point in the game. So I don't think that Skubala feels like an unsafe pair of hands. Um, I think he's probably shown in the, those two games that he can coach and he can plan. Um, and I think as well that he's got players who will will respond to him um, to some degree. But this is different now. You know, there's a big difference between taking two games in a week because the club are trying to find a head coach and suddenly being thrust with the task of effectively keeping leads up, you know, which which is on him now, certainly in the in the shorter term. Um, and that does change the dynamic. It does change the, the strain that he'll be under, the exposure um, that he's going to face, the scrutiny that, that that's going to come around because of the fact that Leeds desperately, desperately needs re- uh, results at this stage. It's a, it's a gamble. I don't think the club can deny that it's a gamble. I think embracing the size of that risk, what, what is it that's made them embrace the size of that risk? Then Do you think it's just that they've painted themselves into a corner? Or is there any sort of level of choice in this, in your opinion? I think it's probably a case of the alternatives that are out there. If they can't do um, Areola and if they can't do Arna Slot and if they can't 
persuade Marcelo Gallardo to to come into a job mid-season. Um, everything that's been said about Gallardo, and I know that Southampton had this conversation about him as well, is that he wants to he wants to take his next job after River Plate with a full season ahead of him. And I totally understand why. And and even more so if he's coming to to Europe, coming to England, you know, you you want the benefit of having three weeks of pre-season to be able to do properly what what it is that you want to do. I don't think. Galado's um, case, it, there's much appeal in coming in and firefighting in what is a pretty desperate situation. So you then start to move on to the coaches you could have who are out of work. And, and you know, as with Southampton going for Jesse Marsh, which doesn't look now like it, it is going to happen, it did look very, very promising for them in, in terms of actually making that appointment on Tuesday, but it, it's fallen through in the past 24 hours and doesn't look like it'll be resurrected. You do start to pick from the people who are out of work, people who are available and as we've said previously, people who are out of work tend to be by virtue of the fact that they've either lost their job previously or have been out of work for, for a while. Um, so it doesn't necessarily give you a broad range of people who you, who you particularly want or you particularly trust. Clearly, last weekend, it was decided or it was felt that Schroeder might be the answer for them, certainly in the short term. I'd have been very surprised had he joined the club, had it been anything other than an initial appointment to the end of the season. But I think in the absence of being able to do that and in the absence of anybody else who, who clearly floats the boat, they've obviously looked at Skibala's work last week and thought, well, you know, this is probably as safe a decision as anything else. Time's going to tell on that front. And, you know, time's not going to be very forgiving at all if this doesn't work. But as I say, I think to, to give Skibala his, his due, I do think he, he did good things with the Manchester United games last week. I, I think they went better than they could have done. How did we land on Schroeder in the first place? We know Victor Alter had been chatting to Marsh for, well, years, it turned out, in the end. Um, how, is this someone he's known for a while? I think he does know Schroeder, yeah. Um, but it seemed to me that it became an option towards the end of the week, last week, when it was apparent that Areola wasn't going to be coming out of Rio Vallecano. We talked on the previous podcast, that I think it was last week's, about almost the need, for, because of the way uh, release clauses are structured in Spain, almost the need for Areola to start that fight himself, you know, and to say, look, I want to leave and I'm going to make it happen and, and force his way out. And it just didn't seem that he was prepared to do that. I think he wanted wanted it to happen in a way that was respectful and, and you know, it didn't drop Rayo Vallecano in it. And I do think if Leeds stay up, that's absolutely an option they'll revisit in the summer again, likewise with, with Arna Slot. But Slot as well, you know, at final final, very resistant to the idea of going to Leeds. And, and he said himself publicly, that he wouldn't be, although, you know, the way in which Leeds approached that and, and the fact that, that you know, Otto was in, in Amsterdam, was in Holland, suggests to you that, that at some level Slot was you know, potentially interested in, in the post. So again, perhaps at a later date, that's one they can go back to. Um, but Schroeder seemed to appear over the weekend as, you know, a bit of a fallback option, a bit of a case of we can't get anybody permanently that we want. Who is out there? Who can we go for? He might do well. He's flown in. The reaction has been really, really negative. And and whether Leeds say that that was an influence, influencing factor or not, as we said, you know it, that those are really, really difficult circumstances to take over in. And you know, to, to an extent, I feel a little bit sorry for Schroeder because he's flown in. That's been the response to it. And you know as well as I do that had he taken the job amid a load of scepticism, gone to Goodison Park and lost, it would not have been pretty at the weekend at all. You could say that of anybody, couldn't you? But like the interim gig is it's a tough sell. When you actually step back from it and think about it, it's such a tough sell to say, we want you to come in and be in charge of all this, but just for a little while, not permanently. 
It is, but people have different levels of stock, don't they? And I think with Schroeder, you were talking about somebody who was no more than three weeks out of the job at Ajax, having not done particularly well there and, and been sacked. And, you know, I, in, in these circumstances, you have to kind of be prepared to cut your cloth. But I think it helps in the view of the, the fan base to see somebody coming through the door who you 100% trust, you know, even if it doesn't work, an appointment that you think that's, you know, that's kind of kind of steady call in the way that some clubs used to look at Allardyce. You know, the, the circumstances where somebody like Allardyce would keep you up or, for example, in the championship, Warnock, who's gone back to, to Huddersfield Town, although I think that's going to be a, I think that's going to be an extremely difficult job for him to keep them up. But he has done it before. So, you know, if, if you think of the other clubs that he's gone into, Cardiff, Rotherham, those clubs taking Warnock, fan bases would probably say, well, this makes sense in the circumstances. I'm totally not saying that Warnock should have been under consideration for this. because he, <laughs> he shouldn't. But if you've got an interim boss coming in who you trust and who you think is going to do the job for you, then the fan base will, will warm to that and will accept it. I think the issue with Schroeder was that people were looking at his record and saying, I don't understand why it is, given the names that have been touted and given you know, the way that, that this was portrayed at the start of Leeds trying to find somebody long-term, People struggling to understand why it was that this was the person, this was the coach that they were falling on. Warnock would have been a great stalking horse to get, get Schroeder in, actually. <laughs> Put him out there. Oh, we've decided not to go with Warnock, actually. We've, we're gonna, this guy's been at Ajax. He's surely an improvement. <laughs> Ultimate strategy, yeah. Um, and looking at Skubala in terms of what he does bring, he's a known quantity to the players, isn't he? He's a face around the club that's not coming in with absolutely brand new ideas. And I guess there is a risk, actually, baked into the idea of bringing in an interim manager who has new ideas and then trying to communicate them and get them across in such a short space of time. Yeah, I've been asking quite a lot about what Skubal is doing, you know, how he's approaching this and and everything that's getting said seems to be coming down to simplification. I mean, Marsh did not have the same training week that Bielsa did. Bielsa's training weeks were hugely intense and, you know, never really eased off. There was There was never any gap in it. There was never much of a break long analysis sessions and and for a long time it worked really effectively. Marsh's weeks tended to be a bit more structured in the sense that two days before a game, for example, it would be um, fairly low-key, it'd be fairly gentle um, just to, to let the players' legs recover a bit more. Some sessions were purely on set pieces. The analysis wasn't as um, as in-depth or, or as, you know, I guess, as long-winded as, as some of Bielsa's. But it sounds like Skubala has simplified all of that again, you know, is is. It's not a case of doing the bare minimum as in tossing it off. Um, it's a case, I think, of trying not to overcomplicate things with the players and trying to make it as, as basic and simple um, a, a kind of plan and a strategy as possible so that ideally it works as quickly as possible. Um, and I did think, you know, for an hour against Manchester United at Old Trafford and really for probably 70 minutes as well at Ellen Road, they were right in those games. And I didn't think looking at the two teams man for man you were seeing a huge amount of difference between them. But, you know, things like getting your substitutions right, things like being able to finish off games when you're in a good position is going to be absolutely critical now. And I think that's probably what, you know, he's he's going to be judged on. But, you know, however this goes, I think Skubala is a million miles down the list of people who this is going to be pinned to if it doesn't work out. You know, he's in that situation that you used to see with Redfern, you know, as, as academy coach on the 21 manager, where you're picking up the pieces and you, you're agreeing to help. But 
you can never tell in these circumstances how much they want that to be the case, you know, how much they actually want to be doing this. The, the interesting from Skibala last week, him saying that he, he was actually loving the opportunity to get involved like this. And I, I think that's absolutely genuine. Um, but you will know that there's a lot of pressure on this. And I think it might well feel very different to him this week um, in comparison to how it felt last week, because last week it felt like holding the reins for a few days. This week, it feels as if it could be him to the end of the season. From what you said about his training, is it fair to say he's trying to bring um, clarity in moments? Clarity in moments. Moments. <laughs> well, celebrate moments. Well, my yes. um, my mischievous follow-up to that, Philip, was going to be along similar lines. And I was going to ask, do you think that he's simplifying the message because the message they were receiving previously was perhaps not as uh, as clear or as simple as uh, as might have been liked? I think that would probably be an easy grenade to throw. But you would have to say that towards the the end of, well, I actually think for quite a lot of this season, the tactics and the the strategy Marsh was using were not working in the way that they needed to. And I think the second half at Forest, which did seem to be influential in the eyes of the board, you know, that was what seemed to cap it for Leeds. Although again, I I suspect it would have been very difficult for them to overlook how toxic it was in the away end, the the fighting amongst the fans, the chanting and everything else. There does come a point, you know, where it's a a red line and, and you have to, you've got to draw a line in the sand. But, yeah, I, I think, I, I don't think, and he, he said last week, Skibala, that he hadn't diverted massively away from Marsh's ideas or the way in which Marsh had set the team up. And I suspect that's probably because it's risky to try and do that, you know, in the thick of a season when you've got games every few days and, and you don't have a lot of time to, to coach or to, to train the players. You can't deviate wildly. Um, but I think, as I say, a lot of the talk has been about simplification and, and trying not to overcomplicate what's being said and what's being planned and, and what's being done on the pitch. But I mean, this is a, you know, I think, I, I don't know if you can really call the Manchester United games free hits because somewhere along the, lines you, you, along the line, you've got to pick up points. But this is a big test, Everton, the way, you know, this is this is going to be a really, really close examination of how good Skubala is tactically. Um, how good he is at changing things in game and how good he is delivering when the chips are down because with the exception of Southampton the following weekend they might not be down in, in a much bigger way than this game many more times It's funny isn't it you're saying then about um, Skubala holding the reins it's almost like you've been given a, a kid to babysit for an evening maybe even stay overnight and then suddenly they're moving in with you for a few weeks <laughs> it's like I'm sp- supposed to give them back after after they've slept slept over for one night how do you think he approaches the rest of the season Phil? Probably much in the same way as he's approached this week. I I don't to, to dig up that horrible cliche of game to game. That's really how it is, isn't it? I mean, you you, you can't really do much. There's there's no transfer window now. There's no scope to change the squad. Um, the the team is as it is. He's got the players he's got. It's going to have to be a case of deal with Everton, deal with Southampton, go from those games. As I say, if those games do not go to plan. I think it will be difficult for Leeds to stick as they are. You know, I think if they do, then they they'll confidently sit and say, right, okay, you know, Skibala's got us. He can he can keep us going to the end of the season, and he can keep us up. But if they're not in good in in good health after those two matches, then they might well have to think again. But from his perspective, I I don't think he can do any more than that than just go week to week. And I don't think any of us can expect any more of him than that at all. He is. It's not that he's got no coaching background. I mean, he absolutely does. Some of it was obviously in, in futsal, but you know, going back to earlier stages of his career, he's been at, at other clubs at, at academy level. This is new for him, though. This is this is front and centre in a way that, that he hasn't experienced before. And we are going to find out in quite a big way 
about him. I, I said previously, I find him quite intriguing, actually. I do feel from sitting listening to him and looking at him and looking at the football so far that there does seem to be something there. But um, let's not pretend this division isn't massively cutthroat. And final thought then, Phil, are you going to be sorry to not get Jesse Marsh back in the press room at Ellen Road in a few days' time? It would have been quite the event, that. And as of Tuesday, Wednesday time, early Wednesday, it was looking like it, it might might well happen. I don't think it would have been the most uh, the most festival like day you've you've ever seen. <laughs> it been somewhat toxic, and um, there'd been a hell of a lot to discuss as well, a hell of a lot to ask, a hell of a lot to to chat over. But it doesn't seem like it's happening, and um, I can't help feeling that's probably for the best. Right, Phil. Thank you for your time. Go back to your uh, to your week off. Thank you very much, and enjoy the game at the weekend. We'll pick it up on Monday. Yeah, you and I. Yeah, I certainly will. Certainly will. It's a biggie. It's a biggie. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. One bit of news we got before today's press conference um, commenced, half an hour before that kicked off, was uh, the contract extension for Luke Aylin. Obviously, he's a huge favourite. I mean, to quote Scubala on him, all the players are important, but Luke's a great person. He's very professional, a great leader and a bit of a legend at the club. It's an important moment. He was brilliant in the two games against Man United. It's been a useful reminder as this past week that he still has something to offer. I feel like there was a maybe a feeling towards the end of last season that it was time to move on from him. And I guess the signing of, of uh, Rasmus Christensen could well have been that had he got himself established. But actually, he's he's proven himself to be our best right-back still at this stage. Yeah, which... I, do, I do wonder actually on that, that whether because there was this shift over to, to Marsh and the Red Bull style of football and Christensen came in if there was almost a, a behind the scenes decision that it was time to move on from the promotion team that perhaps they hadn't replaced them quite quick enough and and Luke Aylin just kind of fell under that broad umbrella possibly yeah I, I think Marsh obviously knew Rasmus as well and I can see that on paper at least his all action style did fit with Marsh's because he he didn't he didn't ever show signs of being a particularly complex footballer in his starts for us didn't Christensen, which is maybe because of the way we were set up. Whereas when you see Ailing play, for all of his faults, he still he always seems to be looking to make a pass. He's he's not on up the line, man. He's he cuts in field. He progresses the ball. He gets on the end of things. I don't know. It feels like he's a more a more independently minded footballer in some respects. Yeah, and even like when he was at fault with the goals against Man United, both home and away, because you could argue he was involved in them because they came from down mm. down his side. It looked to me, and this is not making excuses for him, but it looked to me like he was only ever 
sort of marginally out of position. And we know it's a game of fine margins, isn't it? As the Premier League, you get punished so so easily. You step a yard or two too much in one direction and you can get yourself caught very, very easily. I mean, you, you saw the speed at which Garnacho cut in from the left in that in that home game. Whereas those kind of individual moments were not reflected. The goals we were conceding earlier in the season, and this is not a criticism of, of Christensen necessarily, but it felt like there were far greater structural issues previously and the fullback might be caught right up the field and then they attack down that side. Whereas with Luke Ailing, it's perhaps just moments where he's been outpaced or just gone a yard or two in the wrong direction. And I think Am I the, being fair there? I don't know. Um, possibly, I mean, the the ball to the back post was a thing regardless of personnel, wasn't it? it? It was a way to score against us. So it did end up making a fullback look silly quite often because you were stood centrally while someone was in behind you. But it did seem to be just the way we set up. I think the thing with Ailing in, in recent games is you can almost accept him being tired late in a game because we've asked such a huge amount of him to that point. Like He is, weirdly, for a right-back, we've started a lot of our attacks through there, um, which which we used to do under Bielsa. That was one of the you know the, the famous Pablo goal at, um, at Swansea. That started with Ailing, didn't it, on that right-hand side, making a run forward. So he, he has to do a lot more, partly because we've not had a left-back as well. So we've, we've been putting an awful lot on Luke Ailing for a lot of years, and in the main, you have to say, he's, he's delivered a huge amount to us. Interested to see Scubala talking about his role within the club, not necessarily on the football inside, but you know, setting an example about behaviours and stuff like that, and, and guiding the young players through. And it feels like because we're in a moment of transition now, it still feels like we haven't quite figured out what we're doing post Bielsa. But you get the sense that maybe I don't know the the next manager who is appointed full time will perhaps be a proper moving on from that. So we're still in a transitional phase, and I think we need a little bit of consistency. We need these these what he calls the leadership group, maybe to see us through this transition and and just keep the keep the dressing room in a in a particular place. You know, I think you, you can change too much too soon. As much as you might argue that some of these players have needed replacing, too much change can be a bad thing. And Luke Ayling is not an old man either. I think sometimes that because he's been here for such a long time and he was part of a group which was, I suppose he, he seems to be included in a group which includes Pablo and Berardi and and that that generation. But at 31, you've got several years left in you. You know, some look at you know, someone like Danny Alves, he's playing right back until he's, until he's 40 or whatever. You know, the, it, there is still a footballer in there and I don't think he seems to have got particularly slower in the last few years. I think he, I mean, last year he was carrying injury for a lot of the season as well, which kind of helped him. But I don't look at the Luke Ayling now and think he has declined massively physically from three years ago. So he's got to be worth keeping around. I doubt, I doubt he's a particularly high earner. And if he and he can fill in a couple of different positions, he's not going to let you down around the club doing like in terms of training and stuff. He's someone who I dare say in, in a year or two, if he's still here and he's on the bench, he probably won't cause any problems either. So mm. it, just a useful person to have around. Do you reckon like pound for pound is the best value signing we've had in the modern era? You probably put you put Pablo in there as well. I would I dare say, but I mean, there's a few of the Bielsa players, Before, you know, like two hundred grand or whatever area you could have in there. Yeah, but so you got Pablo Dallas. We didn't pay a huge amount for. Click as well was was quite a bargain. So there are lots of people you could you could fit into the the same category. In some in some ways, you view all of those Bielsa players who were already here in sort of the same bracket. Even in, even in terms of someone who didn't play as crucial a part, and obviously it was gone by the time we we were established in the Premier League. But Berardi, I know I know he didn't play in the last season, but he's someone who you looked at at the time and you thought, well, he's arrived on the cheap. Early impressions, he's fine but you didn't expect very much of. And I guess Ailing's always been part of that as well, that he he was part of the renaissance under Bielsa. And as much as maybe long-term, we're going we're gonna to want a better replacement. 
I sort of still want Luke Haley at right back because he makes me feel happy. Yeah, I was going to say, is, is there is the sentiment in that? And are we wrong to use sentiment as a reason to renew contracts? Because there are people, you know, we always say you can't take Twitter as gospel, but the the argument for him to keep him is quite clear. Some of it possibly is rooted in um, in sentiment. The argument for getting rid of him is he's outstayed his welcome. He's too old. He's past it now. So where do you think sentiment feeds into that? Or is he just going to go go to Roma? Have we, we propped up his value for this? I, if it was a four-year contract, I would raise some eyebrows. But it's a year's extension, isn't it? It's not a, it's not a much of a risk at this stage. I think it's more of a risk to let someone like Ailing go and have to replace him in the transfer market than mm. it is to just keep someone of his standing. Because to buy any kind of a, a Premier League footballer, you're looking at. I mean, of, of our signings this summer and into January, we, I don't think any of them have been less than. Eight or nine million pounds, have they? Yeah. So you're talking comfortably ten million at least, maybe fifteen for someone decent, and then probably twenty to twenty-five if you're going to start properly getting to the next level in terms of signing. So for the the cost of giving Ailing another year, I think it's an obvious thing to do. I, I don't know why it didn't happen sooner. I don't know if that's what I wondered about with the question about whether there'd been kind of a policy decision almost to move things on into the next era and they were trying to sort of hurry that along and they'd sort of seen the old guard, the promotion team as as kind of dispensable, needing replacing now. And actually, because we've now said no to the Red Bull model and, and Marsh is gone, whether there's just a little bit more, take a step back, take stock of what we actually have and the, the value that they bring. And, you know, you can't ignore recent performances, can you, that he's been good. So if you can do that against Man United, then I'm sure, you know, he's worth that extra, extra year because it's not right long, is it? No, and I think the summer, last summer when we signed Christensen, there was maybe one eye on this being Ailing's last season. Whereas now you look at it and you're thinking, well, if it's going to be anyone's last season, it might be uh, might be time to move move Rasmus on because he's not he's not got established. He's not played brilliantly in any games. He's not played as well in any games as Luke Ailing has played in the last two games, has he? That's no. the thing. It's good that they're willing to change plans. I suppose <laughs> if we're going to give the club some credit. Or we can um, we can chuck them under the bus for for trying to get out some feel good information while everyone's <laughs> <laughs> while everyone's pissed off with the board because <laughs> there's a you know, there's a little bit of me slightly suspicious of that side of stuff too. But. Oh, naturally, um, does actually beg a question about what it means for Cody um, Cody Drama. Yeah, I mean, does he spend a year out on loan? Does he move on in the summer because his contract's ticking down, isn't it? Yeah, he's into his last year um, next the end of next season. He'll be he'll so be out of contract, same as Ailing. Yeah. So. Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what goes on there because he seems to be have done incredibly well on his loan spells and in admittedly fairly limited first-team chances for us. Never really done it, has he? Mm. Does he need it? That's what I wonder. Is it is it a case of saying to him, right, we'll, we'll extend your contract if you're prepared to sign one. This is the plan. We stick you out on loan for a year. You go get a full season under your belt then you come back ready to go for the season after. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's when you, you step into the first-team squad properly. Or is that... Because it feels like from his, his point, from, from his, his point camp, of view, yeah. I just wouldn't believe them. No, <laughs> because I think that he's been touted as first as Ailing's understudy, and then he went out and loaned him well at Cardiff. Oh, well, Jesse Pivac was saying, "Well, come back. We definitely want you as part of the squad. We believe in you." He still didn't play him. Mm. So if I was if I was Cody Drama, I think I would be inclined to take a move if it was offered to me. I mean, obviously the the options for him might not be great. I mean, he was linked with both Newcastle and Borussia Dortmund before signing on loan for Luton. So maybe his some of the hype has been a, a little bit too much at times or the mm. agent has, has tried to get him, um, maybe get him involved more at Leeds or get him a, a better move at points. But L- the reports from Luton are very good at the moment as they were from Cardiff. But then again, it is quite a big step up in, yeah. t- in terms of the standard of football and the expectation. 
Just returning to the the point of Ailing as well, uh, I think probably one of the, the best things you can say about him as a character is that don't you feel like you want to be his mate? Yeah, definitely. Like when it comes to the passing the pint test, would you go for a pint with him? Absolutely, he's one of the first ones you'd pick out of the squad, isn't he? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think some of the moments we've had with him as well, the from the the really good ones like the the Huddersfield goal to be his part in Pablo to seeing him involved in all the celebrations, you also think to him at Forest and looking completely dejected and he seems to still be the bloke that they send out to face the cameras when everything's gone to shit which is um, which is quite endearing I suppose that he's the one who whether or not he's, he's forced to do it or he sticks his hand up and says like you know what fine I'll, I'll do it my turn then is it I'm, ex- I'm experienced <laughs> enough to handle this but yeah personality wise I think he's, he's great and we've had so many great moments with him and fun moments too and the word legend is bandied around far too frequently in football, but he's definitely um, a legend in the modern sense of the word, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he was he's a, achieved something. Yeah, he's achieved something, and he was part of he was part of the before, he was part of the after of Bielsa. So I think it's um, yeah, he'll always be he'll always be someone who is fondly remembered at the club. And in some ways, I'm just glad we're keeping him so someone else can't have him <laughs> <laughs> because I don't. I, I You'd don't be sad s- seeing him in another kit, wouldn't you? I would. I don't. I, won't, I don't think I'd like to see him going off and having a. You know, having a, a few good years at Middlesbrough and them, them enjoying him, it'd be um, it'd be a shame. Yeah, I, yeah. I kind of want him to be one of those players who decides at the end of his Leeds contract, whenever that may be. Like, do you know what, lads? I'm just going to stick around in Yorkshire. I had me I had my kids here. They're, they're settled in school. I'll just stay in Harrogate and keep keep showing up. And he's there on the photos. You know, becomes an ambassador for the club, whatever it might be. We're Even basically if, not letting him leave. Yeah, <laughs> we like it too much. Well, I think we've we've safely navigated the whole show. A bit of Frank Lampard stuff managed to creep in, but um, you know, not too bad. Not Hopefully, too the Athletic bad. won't be too upset. But uh, yeah, Phil will be back on the show on Monday morning when we debrief um, Everton when he's uh, when he's back to work at the Phil Hay Show on Twitter, uh, theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. If you want to read Phil's stuff and interact with him as well, we will be back on Monday. Thanks for joining us for this one. We'll see you in a bit. The Phil Hay Show.